2: Season one, episode seven of Six Feet Under Brotherhood is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. That's right. It is the Six Feet Under podcast here where we are revisiting the critically acclaimed HBO series episode by episode. My name is Ariel, and here to discuss the episode with me is my co-host, Amanda, who spent 17 years as a top chef in Chicago. The Sun-Times called her the mother of the new rustic cuisine. What's up, Amanda?
3: I am mother, um, Ariel, wow, um, did you get the gift basket I sent you?
2: <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, there were a few um, questionable choices that uh, you made, but okay. any <laughs> any gift that I receive yeah. is, is uh, appreciated.
3: Mm-hmm. All in love. Um, wow, Ariel, we're back with another episode of Six Feet Under, episode seven, Brotherhood. Um, so much fun revisiting the show.
2: Yeah, and we are now at the true, you know, mm. six and a half. We're like over the halfway hump oh. of the season. We were now. gonna,
3: but, we were gonna check in in the middle of this episode, so we could. do... We were gonna <laughs> do a half
2: pod. A half, yeah, and We decided it, pod, would, yeah. it would break the pod, mm-hmm. so perhaps, perhaps better to just mention it and and continue on. Um, in the uh, in in the name of brotherhood. Yes. And just uh. You know, sibling siblinghood in general. Um, but don't forget to subscribe to the podcast feed if you haven't already. Post recaps.com slash six feet under the URL for your podcast catchers, or you can search post show recaps six feet under, six feet under as mm. it's uh known officially to us insiders. Brotherhood, what'd you make of this episode, Amanda?
3: Um I I I thought that this was another good episode. I I enjoyed it. I think that um episode 6 so far is like my high watermark in the season. Mm-hmm. Um I loved that episode, The Room. Um I think that this episode picks up with a lot of the interesting dynamics that we started to unpack uh, in the previous episodes, it's, you know, the the title is Brotherhood. And obviously that's a reference to the death that we have at the center of this episode, our cold open um, with uh, Private First Class Viktor Kovic and his brother, Paul. But there's a lot of brothers that um, there's a lot of sibling relationships that we also touch on in this episode, the relationship between Nate and David and uh, Brenda's relationship with her brother, Billy. So we see a lot of different flavors of uh, the sibling relationship here.
2: Mm -hmm. So many flavors. And as usual, you're never quite sure what the Brenda flavor is going (sighs) to taste like. It's always a little, it's like the mystery flavor, you know, Mm. like you're going to try it and you're like, oh, wait, it's, this but really it's it's edible underpants flavor oh god please no i don't want that they would probably start to melt i don't know my experience i i can i can very proudly say or whatever no kink shaming but i do not have any experience Mm. with edible underwear i just feel like you know certain things certain things shouldn't be worn and mm-hmm. this is this is perhaps this is perhaps one of them but um you know Brenda as usual not boring her relationship yeah. with her brother and her entire life never a dull moment boring. um but yes yeah, so we have episode 7 brotherhood again directed by Jim McBride uh written by Christian Williams let's get into some quick plot recap business uh this week's death is Private First Class Victor Kovic, a veteran whose death due to Gulf War Syndrome causes strife between David and Nate. Victor's brother is against a military funeral. He spent years fighting uh, with the Army over Victor's illness and the care. Nate knows that Victor was proud of his time serving in the military because he talks to, um, you know, some, some friends of of the deceased but david isn't willing to go against victor's brother who is the one footing the bill so once again it's the the money coming into play for david nate must also deal with the ever-present billy (laughs) who gives him and brenda an inappropriate gift basket filled with condoms sex toys and the aforementioned edible underwear we learn that billy uh you know has this ill-timed episode right as brenda and nate are scheduled to go away from the weekend we knew from prior episodes that uh billy is bipolar and brenda like emphasizes and reminds nate about that here it leaves nate uh in a weird place believing that perhaps billy is manipulating brenda and um you know using using an excuse to keep her closer to him uh, meanwhile, David is the deciding vote determining whether or not an open-minded associate priest should be able to practice at their parish. Father Jack uh, believes that the new priest will be exactly what they need to modernize their parish, but when confronted with the pressure to conceal his sexuality, David sides with the old fogies, as he just puts it. Claire continues to have issues connecting with her peers at school and decides she'd like to go on a youth trip at the recommendation of her guidance counselor, a trip we find out that Nate also went on, even though he lied to his parents about it. Speaking of his parents, Ruth seems to be the only Fisher family member with good news as she gets a part time job at the florist, Nikolai, allowing the smell of flowers to bring her joy once again, instead of reminding her of loss and death, which is a very sweet moment that I would excited to talk about uh her new boy toy Hiram also meets the family and is a master chef apparently so go Ruth and uh yeah that's the that's episode seven flowers can you smell them from here do you think they smell different than the edible underwear
3: I think so I, I feel like there's not a lot of like natural aromas coming well some natural aromas but not real, <laughs> right um, now yeah yeah, yeah. i ruth is thriving and you love to see it i mean ruth is positively glowing in this episode like doesn't she have a whole different look like we pointed out francis conroy in the red shirt in the last episode but i think that she really has this ability to completely transform herself from like the kind of dowdy, dour sort of school marm persona that we're first introduced to. But now with Hiram in her life and this new job, we have the flowing hair, Mm -hmm. we have the rosy complexion. Um, I mean, I'm I'm loving this for Ruth.
2: Yeah, to me it felt a little bit like the red shirt was her kind of trying to put on that uh you know that that new face so to speak and that like new persona and and kind of forcing herself a little bit Mm -hmm. like obviously such a such a vibrant color as we talked about and here it felt like she was really embodying that and like fully you know opening herself up in this way and it was it's a really it's a really really sweet uh a really sweet moment that we get for her from her at the end when she's so joyous. I mean the hilarious thing with Ruth is always really not really sure why she's crying and what emotion she's feeling uh-huh. which is like very human and honest. Um but the idea that she's so overwhelmed by happiness at like flowers taking on a brand new context after so long is like a very specific and mm. understandable uh, again human very human thing for her even though it's hilariously played by her in the moment and she when she's like i'm used to being people i'm used to seeing people shattered people being
3: shattered i'm so happy i can't wait to come back tomorrow um yeah it's it's great and um i think that it really speaks to, um, you. Know, we've talked about this before, that it's possibly the best choice for everyone in this family. We've talked about David having his um, desires to pursue law and maybe really invest in his relationship with Keith. Um, You know, we've talked about Nate coming back to uh, the family business. And is that the best choice for him? Um, You know, Ruth is the one right now, while everybody else is sort of getting further enmeshed in the family. She's showing signs of sort of breaking away and allowing herself to grow. Um, We know that she had this affair while uh, Nathaniel Sr. was still alive. But at first, she denies herself the indulgence of continuing to pursue that relationship. And like now she's giving herself permission to sort of create something new and move yeah. on, which is like, I think a sign of, of health and growth and not something that we're really seeing from the other members of the Fisher family.
2: Yeah. And I, I love that she uses that word shattered. It's, it's like she has finally like shattered open and like this, you know, she, she, At times has held her emotion in at times has, you know, uh, broken down crying or yelled at her children, although that seems kind of normal for her. But in this moment, again, to really see her her heart just like be completely open and it's very childlike. Right. It's like super innocent to just watch her literally sitting in the like behind a stand in a corner in like the shack behind the the flower shop. And she's just like crying amongst the flowers. And it's, it's very sweet. It's like, she couldn't smell before in a way. And now she's now she can smell again.
3: Wow. Wow. I mean, it also just, I think like, you know, we've talked about this and I think what's so compelling about the premise of the show is, you know, you, we 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 have to encounter you know the um the death industry uh end of life care sort of services um only at very specific points in our lives you know if we're if we're lucky um but you don't give a lot of thought to the people who are constantly immersed in that and we know that like Ruth was married. To Nathaniel Sr., like when she was 19, is that what she says? Like, Mm
2: -hmm. she's
3: been trapped in this like house of death for her whole adult life and hasn't really known anything else. And to think that, like, the smell of flowers would, of course, be so ingrained with like this means death. There's something so tragic about it. And so, Beautiful about her, like kind of like slowly emerging. From that, I, I found it really powerful. Um, and I love Francis Conroy's performance in this episode. I mm-hmm. think that um, she really can, like, read a line like no other. That 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 the uh, the line you used to open with Ariel, like, he spent 17 years as a top chef in Chicago. The critic of the sometimes called him the father of the new rustic cuisine. And then he gave it all up to be a hairdresser. And he's never been happier. And she, like, slams the happening <laughs> what is going on with you Ruth?
2: and nobody's questioning her like she's always choosing the most random punctuations for her point like this and again like you said the and he's never been happier like okay we haven't even met the guy like nobody is saying otherwise it's you're having a pretend argument with yourself and uh you're the winner and the loser but um yeah, it's it's sweet that she brings him around. And I love Claire again, Claire, the queen of like mm. private little moments with herself. when she's like getting new information about her family members or like just in general uh, being accepting of them and her her little moment with Ruth when Ruth tells her that she's bringing Hiram over for dinner. And Claire is like, OK, and she's just smiling like she's she's happy for her mom. Yeah. And it's it's so nice to see.
3: I love that. Yeah. I love those like small little supportive moments where, you know, Claire lets in like this approval or this warmth. And like, like you said, Ariel, like a very understated and subtle way. It's so well done. Um, But what do you think about like the other Fisher children's reactions (laughs) towards Hiram?
2: um i think uh, unfortunately on the other side of the spectrum david is gonna david and Mm -hmm. he he can't help himself and he's like i don't want him here (laughs) like he you know it's just like like, in our home right like (laughs) does it have to be here can't you take him somewhere else this is our home and it's ruth very appropriately says this is my home too you know this Mm -hmm. is and if anything she's the you know she's the matriarch of the family so she that should come with some level of respect and i think if she's ready if she's emotionally ready to bring this guy over like yeah it's messy and it's not great that they found out that she was having an affair but like
3: it's not like not their business also like
2: yeah no i do, i don't disagree she's yeah. she's letting them in in the sense that she wants to have him over but that's like the that 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 in and of itself is the extent of their involvement they don't need to be you know any more involved they don't even have to stay i mean that would be kind of shitty for david Mm -hmm. to be like okay well i'm not gonna come but um you know it's 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 really it's up to it's up to them only in that sense of like whether they're gonna attend but like as far as ruth is concerned this is my life now and i hope that that includes you in it also Yeah.
3: yeah david is so so judgmental um and like obviously i think it comes from a place of you know he's he's so repressed and judgmental towards himself that he just like, it spills into the way he views everybody else's behavior. It's like, well, I'm being miserable and hiding who I am. So the least everybody else can do is do the same thing. And I think he really resents like his brother for not approaching life in that way. And he's resenting his mother now for not shielding him from that. So, you know, David really reacts in that kind of predictable way, which is kind of sad and like I, you know, and and and, and it's not a great look for David. I think it's it's a it, it it it's you know, one of the things I I think that David is a very sympathetic character, but I've been surprised up through 7 episodes of how often I'm kind of like having this reaction to David and just how harsh he is to the other people in his family. And of course, Keith, as we've pointed out as well.
2: Yeah. Poor Keith. He's not even really around. I mean, obviously yeah. they had their, you know, um umpteenth uh, fight probably yeah. at this point. But the, you know, I, it seems like there's a mention of him barely kind of offhanded comment that, David makes later on about like, you know, I lost my something and then it kind of cuts off and you're like, okay, so I guess they're, we've seen the fight so many times that it's hard to know, like, are they on a break? Are they just not talking? Are they broken up? Like, we don't really know. So that's um, sad. But it's, it's kind of interesting to your point about watching David across these episodes. You kind of start out the series and it seems like Ruth is the most like entrenched in her ways and like not capable of, of seeing certain things or changing in certain ways. And actually it's coming to bear that it's David himself who is keeping, like you said, he is he doesn't really know any other way of life. And he unfortunately is quite unhappy with parts of his life. And his instinct is to pull everyone down with with him instead of trying to you know push himself and push other people up
3: yeah there's a great thing that they do in this episode um you know we've talked about how the show plays with fantasy and we have these moments both um i think it's first through Claire's eyes and then through David's where they imagine like this very innocuous scene where their mother is interacting with Hiram as like being something like intensely sexual. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so fun when the show does this, especially because you get these like really jarring um, sort of uh, contrast with uh, mm-hmm. Ruth behaving in a way that is very unruth. Um, so I thought that that was really fun.
2: Yeah. And that's like so clearly part of the show's DNA. And like it keeps it it keeps it from feeling super, super dour. And, and you know, uh, it's obviously dealing with some very like heavy concepts. And I think this is it just gives the show also so much of its personality that we know so well. And it's um, not not a lot of shows would be able to to really strike that balance in a way that is working and is entertaining and isn't taking you out of it. So yeah, exploding heads, you know, beheadings, (laughs) I'm all for it when it's, when it's fictional and in your, in in someone else's head, the person not getting their head chopped off.
3: Ariel, what do you think of Hiram's reaction to the news that Ruth has a job?
2: (laughs) You, you didn't mention that to me. I didn't, I didn't know about that. And then Ruth god like so so classic Ruth in a way she's like oh did I not that's <laughs> that's so weird that I didn't mention this guy that like kissed me that I'm now working for and I literally had like an emotional breakdown at work and I'm so happy but no did I not mention- <laughs> that's that's so strange how could I not have mentioned it? I'm so busy you know uh putting my hands in weird places under the table in my children's imaginations. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it feels like a little bit of trouble in paradise, like a couple of like odd notes in the Ruth and Hiram relationship here. Like there's his sort of lukewarm reaction to her news that she has a job and then like, you know, Ruth all high on her employment and date night is going to say to him I, I wish that you knew my 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 husband um i don't know it's like is that is that <sighs> the kind of like romantic thing you want to hear with somebody's head in your lap looking up into your eyes
2: i mean that's the most romantic thing i've ever heard <laughs> uh but no uh but <laughs> i yeah i mean to her credit credit and and not that you're setting it up any other way but i think to her credit she she says it in in what i think is the uh, kindest and most self-curious kind of way where she's like sharing this thing and she hedges it by saying like i know this is probably a strange thing to say but I kind of wish that you had you had met my husband. I mean, it's I think it's it's certainly understandable in the timeline that we're dealing with of like how recent this has all happened. The loss of Nathaniel Senior. Um, she's kind of in this, you know. Maybe things could have been good. Like maybe she imagines a world where, I mean, I don't know. She doesn't strike me as that she would have never left Nathaniel probably. But like if. Maybe there's a world where if they had separated in some way and then she had started, you know, seeing Hiram Mm -hmm. openly like that would have been the only kind of uh, situation that you can imagine. But I I don't I wouldn't fall for fault him for having a weird reaction to it. I think he at the end of the day has a perfectly understandable and uh, I would say neutral reaction to it. I think his reaction, as we've already mentioned, his reaction to the job thing is a little bit more telling because there's also mm-hmm. a, a level of like control and like access yeah. to her, to every part of her that he clearly wants to have. And, you know, he wanted her to go on that trip and like, I already bought you the ticket and like all this, just whatever he wants to do, or he will, he certainly wants to be included. And beyond that, he wants to have like all the information so I think it's uh, it's an interesting thing for her to say to him and probably more more telling from her side of like where her head is at than she probably even realizes. Mm.
3: Yeah, you know what I'm realizing, Ariel? What? For the first time, I think, in the history of this podcast, we haven't started our reactions with a WTF Brenda segment.
2: (laughs) Listen, we have to keep changing where it comes on the show because then people will figure out where it is yeah we don't want you just
3: listening for our brenda rants and then skipping the whole rest of the podcast
2: no it would be it's much more brenda-esque for us to like keep you guessing and like playing games and
3: are we showing up for the (laughs) podcast are we just like dropping you in with our parents instead of us i was gonna
2: say next (laughs) podcast it might just be all our Our moms and like we don't show up because we're like you know what you deal with it this is if you want to be in our lives, then this is what you have to deal this with. This is
3: what you get. This is what I am. This is what I am. This is what you signed up for. Wow. Um a big, a big uh, a big Brenda and Billy episode area. Yeah.
2: This is and you know, there's been a lot of um from some first time watchers on the discord and I think also some some rewatchers as well there's there's been this uh groundswell of of Brenda um I wouldn't even call it Brenda hate necessarily I think even that's too strong a a term I would say some um some Brenda
3: she elicits strong reactions yeah Yeah.
2: (laughs) there's just like something that bubbles up inside you Mm. and I I think you know, we've, we've said what we've said. And, you know, I can't seeing all of it. It's like, I, I can't help but put myself in her position sometimes with like her, her parents and how she was raised. And like, there's definitely a lot of explanation there Mm -hmm. for how she sees the world. And she's always testing because she obviously, you know, grew up not being able to trust people. And, she's so smart and being able to manipulate people so i feel like in a way she was like doomed to fail from the get not that i'm Mm -hmm. excusing some of her behavior but it's always interesting to have like all the things that we have now learned about her childhood especially and what we know already about her relationship with her brother that um that gives me like a little bit of 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 pause before like i immediately you know want to you know, blow her head up as, as, yes. as was common in this episode. But um, yeah, this is again, though, it's always in like her delivery and in her, what she says, what she chooses to say, what she withholds, the way she deals with Nate, that is like ultimately what matters most. And I think in, in this episode, it seems a little bit less that she's playing a game and perhaps more so that Nate is worried that is a game is being played against right. her by her brother.
3: Yeah, I I very much think that this is probably the most like sympathetic Brenda episode so far where I find myself less like yelling about. How you know at the screen about how terrible she's being, and more like seeing how she's kind of in this impossible situation. Um, with one exception, the episode starts and she's wearing a bandana with sparkly ride <laughs> in <the laughs> it, <aerial. laughs>
2: Was this a limited edition at the limited?
3: <laughs> is, there is no excuse for anybody over 14 to be wearing a bandana with sparkly rhinestones in it. No excuse.
2: I love that the that the worst judgment we have against her seems to be what she's wearing. I love I love the uh yeah, just like the costume watch that we're it's on. A, it's a her. through
3: line. We are going to track it. We're not, dropping ne- I mean,
2: I, I mention it all the time. I'll never forget her her brown like pantsuit that she wore to the to the funeral it was it wasn't it was an entire moment that she had that we sat through and I still salute her even though I question the choice
3: oh God, yeah forget about private Kovich let's salute, Bre- <laughs> let's <laughs> salute Brenda <laughs> for her fashion choices honestly like it is it does show great bravery to to wear the clothes that she wears um, she, she
2: her childhood was robbed from her Amanda <laughs> she is now living it now yeah. <laughs> It's true. This is, this is the time that she has. Her heart was shattered open mm. by Nate and now mm-hmm. she's being the little girl that she never was.
0: Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is, I mean, the,
3: the, the beginning of this episode where we see Brenda and Nate together, it's like, it is very sweet. They seem like an almost like functioning couple. And like, mm-hmm. neither of them are behaving in like a toxic way. They're both being like supportive. They're planning this trip. It's really exciting. Nate, says the l word he oh, like drops the i love you bomb and this is like and this was also i thought very cute because he says it she's kind of not ready to hear it yet but he also is like yeah i said it. it's not a big deal it's just like it's like i felt like this was a very like at that early stage in a relationship where people are figuring out how they feel. And somebody's like a little bit like this, this just felt kind of like healthy Mm -hmm. and neither one of them like needed the other one to be in a different place than they were.
2: Yeah.
3: And and that was okay. Um, so I'm like very high on Nate and Brendan. I'm like, Oh, okay. I see it. Like maybe this isn't like the worst thing that ever happened. And then (laughs) Billy just busts in on them in a very compromised position, Ariel.
2: Yeah. And, and, and just back to the, I love you thing for a second, real quick. I think it's so, I, I agree with you. And I I think part of what makes it so like innocent in a way is like, he doesn't, he doesn't have this big moment where he's like, Oh my God, I'm ready to say it. Even Mm -hmm. if you're not ready to hear it. And he's like, I love you. He's just like making a comment, you know, he could, he could, and, his credit he doesn't try but he could make the argument that like oh my god no i didn't meet that love you i just yeah yeah i love you uh, like i I love
3: love fresca yeah
2: (laughs) i love you like you love wearing that stupid bandana (laughs) that uh thing on your head but um He says it, and then he's like, and he so casually says it, and then he retreats, and he's like, ah, whatever, we can just move on. But then he jumps to like, okay, okay, what? Eff it, let's just like take a trip. We're gonna do (laughs) like it's like he goes to be chill, and then he's like, no, we're not gonna be chill. (laughs) Let's like like take a trip, which you know you could argue they they need anyway, and the the timing is is not all that suspicious. But yeah, even that, all that is great. And then the thorn in Nate's side uh, mm-hmm. that Billy can probably see from his angle when he walks in on,
3: on <laughs> He uh, can see, see, see a lot. He can see a lot that from that, that angle. <laughs>
2: and he doesn't just like walk in on them and it's like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He like has to make a comment and mm. he's like even stays to tell Brenda about like the pictures that he took and what he did and it's just like it's
3: very territorial he like he's like this is my space like I can come in and be anywhere in my sister's house I belong here like it's very much he's marking his territory
2: yeah it's like when Ruth says later this is my house too to her Mm. kids but it's like obviously the situation is different and here Billy is just you know pissing all over everything for lack of a better mm-hmm. uh, uh metaphor he's just like he can't help himself and you can tell it's coming from like somewhere between uh an insecure place uh, you know a territorial place like you're saying he he hasn't been outwardly eh, i guess you can make it he hasn't been like super outwardly hostile towards mm-hmm. nate with maybe like an exception or two but it's been a consistent, I do not respect. I certainly don't seem to respect my sister's boundaries, but I should, I, I do not respect your boundary in a way that's more harmful or, or Nate feels that more because he's like the outsider. So you kind there is just like the social norm of you giving more space to that person who's new and a significant other to your sibling. And this is, and that's just completely absent here. And you know billy is billy is uh he's very much himself and you never know what what you're gonna get and brenda seems to you know be used to this and it's that that idea of like how much of it and this is what it is for nate and a little bit of what he's telling brenda like how much of it is quote-unquote real in the sense of what billy is actually going through and how much of it is him just wanting to to keep her closer to him to billy
3: yeah, I mean, there's obviously this like possessive quality that Billy has over Brenda. And I think that we're all as an audience, as, you know, Nate, supposed to kind of question, is this sexual? Like, what is the nature of this relationship? Like, they obviously have this very physical intimacy brenda and billy that's like a little bit pushes the boundaries of what you would expect from siblings like after billy walks in on them she's like in her bathrobe like just kind of like leaning over him like you know in a very like intimate way um then he's going to like send her this extremely inappropriate gift basket um it's, uh, you know, like at some point, you know, Nate says it's hostile, like it's a little scary. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Brenda's like very much makes excuses for him. You know, you don't know what he's been through. Don't judge him. Um, and, you know, then when Billy like has this episode and comes and sabotages their trip together, um, you know, he says like, oh, you can fuck her some other time. Like he's like very crass. Mm -hmm. about Nate, like very threatening. Um, And like when Brenda and Nate have this confrontation about, you know, Nate accuses, it's like, I feel like this fight that they have is really good because you can, it's very revealing of these characters because Mm -hmm. you would, again, we've said this many times, Nate has every reason to say, Too many red flags. Like, I don't need this. I can't be involved in this. But he recognizes that he has strong feelings towards this woman. And this is like a delicate situation because this is her family. Like, and he's only known her for a couple of months. And this is like a family situation that she has to deal with. Obviously, you know, when Nate's father had just died, she's like calling him and yelling at him within 24 hours of having (laughs) met him. But
2: So romantic.
3: Family stuff is is delicate, and he doesn't want to intrude, and he obviously doesn't understand this whole thing, but he also, like, doesn't really hold his tongue about it, and he mm-hmm. tells Brenda, like, you know, oh, is this, like, is convenient timing that he's off his meds? You're letting him manipulate you. Right. Um, but Brenda jumps all the way to, like, oh, are you saying that I F my brother? And it's, like, it's, it's just, like, whoa.
2: This is the wildest thing she has ever said. This is like they're having a perfectly reasonable argument where one thing leads to the next, very logical. And then all of a sudden, she jumps to 11 and she's like, Do you think I effed my brother? And Nate is like, Well, um, now yes, I, do. I was thinking that, absolutely. But I wasn't even thinking about verbalizing it. And now you have jumped to that, which is like highly sus. But I care enough about you that I'm like, no, that's not even what I'm talking about. That is a thing perhaps. But wait, we will get to that. It's like his implication of the moment. But the fact that she... Jumps there so quickly, and I agree with everything you said about like their physical their physical intimacy. Brandon, her brother, we've talked about it before, and Mm -hmm. in this episode, like you said, like the way she's leaning over, it's just they they're so careful and so intentional about the way that they have us, aka Nate. Like we are, we are always Nate in those moments, looking at them, gauging like what is quote unquote normal. And there's always just like that extra layer to their that extra touch, that extra like either reveal like they're revealing too much of themselves or they're they're touching each other in a way that is just that that by itself isn't a thing. But like all these red flags, like you said, all together kind of paint a picture of doubt at least. And for her to jump to that is like i I don't even know what to think it's it's hilarious but also so wild that she that see that she verbalizes it in that moment
3: yeah i mean if you weren't thinking, I like I wonder if these two are having sex. like after she says it, it's like, oh, okay, well, now I definitely think that you do.
2: <laughs> that's my big takeaway yeah. <laughs>
3: like because, first I I would, because people like who are not doing that would never think to bring that up in a conversation. um so that that's wild. um, but I also think that you know that comment aside this episode. I think does a good job at really um, painting Brenda as quite a sympathetic character who's in a really impossible position. And um, like as the older sibling and knowing what her brother has struggled with and now knowing what we know about her parents and how um, unreliable as caretakers they may have been uh, for dealing with Billy, um, the feeling of having somebody in your life who struggles with mental illness to the point where it's a potentially life-threatening issue and having the pressure that you are that person, like you are the person that is their lifeline. And when things go wrong, if you can't be there in the right way and respond to them, that that is a potentially life or death issue. Um, I think that what um what Rachel Griffiths like communicates in her performance in this episode is like very much somebody who's trying to ride that line. And like Brenda has tried to have her own life, but and also, you know, with this tether on her that keeps her in Billy's orbit. So if he does need her, if like the shit does hit the fan mm-hmm. that she is within arm's reach and can support him and can help him hold it together um so she's in that position and billy knows he has that power over her so sometimes he might absolutely need her but other times he might just be afraid that he doesn't have her as close as he wants to so it's like he uses that lever to keep her close in a way that is you know maybe consciously manipulative maybe subconsciously maybe a mix of all of the above um but we're seeing this dynamic really revealed here. And it it is scary. Like when you've been through moments in somebody's life where they're that close to the edge. And I think Brenda absolutely feels the pressure that she is uniquely the human being who can be there for Billy in these times to prevent the absolute worst from happening.
2: Yeah. And I think the most interesting thing to me is is one of the points that you made about Billy and like the idea of he may not even be whether or not this is manipulation. He let, let's say it is in some form. He may not even be aware of it. Like the idea of him just needing something versus wanting something again, this very human thing. And then the way mm-hmm. it in his case can have a uh, more, uh, explosive or erratic, um, you know, instances or, or, uh, you know, uh, examples of, of, of times these things have happened. She, and she's playing that role. We talk about this all the time with the Fisher family, but like the roles they play for each other and how sometimes Mm -hmm. you're stuck in a role and you don't have, you don't know how to get out of it. Um, I can only imagine the interactions. We've seen interactions between Brenda and her parents and how they're very, just kind of i don't know lacks at best about some of the things that she's saying they're so quick to yeah. put psychological terms and you know mm-hmm. very uh like very short and uh just like putting labels on things yeah they're
3: self-involved they're very clinical they're not like yes, warm it's, it's and like supportive it's like that
2: feral yeah. clinical thing that you're th- that's exactly it and i can only imagine their interactions with billy and how quick they would be to like oh that's just you know you're off your meds you need to take your meds or or what have you it's like she again to the point of how much pressure she must feel as the older sibling like you said is, is really hard and it's like hard to see her be in that position and like the tragedy also of them both having and, and this is what you're talking about also both having family as a burden and like yeah. being in this place now where those things are kind of working against each other in a way and how like they have both now seen so many different facets of each other's families and now this, as they get as they're getting closer now that uh, that continues. And well, as Brenda
3: points out um, Nate's mom walked in on them and now her brother has. So they're even.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. That's totally the same thing. <laughs> yep. Great. Ruth was like, Oh, Hey Nate, sorry. I walked in on you. I made some, you know, croissants for you downstairs. So make sure to come down after you finished with Brenda in the viewing room or whatever. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild stuff, but yeah, um... Yeah, yeah, Nate, he didn't get his trip. Do you think he went on the trip alone?
3: I think oh. he does go on the trip alone because that's the most Nate thing to do. So just... <laughs> like, um, whatever.
2: I'll go back to Seattle.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, like when, when Brenda says, I mean, and you have to imagine that this relationship that she has with Billy is really uh, impacting how close she's allowing herself to be to Nate. And I think it like colors the I love you conversation at the top of the episode that, you know, Nate can say, I love you to Brenda. And she's not going to be quick to say that back because she knows what having a man in her life is going to mean. Like she knows how hard That's going to be. And so she, I think to some level, as much as she likes Nate. And I think, you know, we have a lot of evidence that she is like crazy about Nate. It's probably more than just a sexual connection um, that she has to have some sort of wall up because Getting close to her means being invited into this part of her life that is unpredictable, that is scary, that is intrusive. And when she says, You know, he's sick, he's my brother, and he's sick and he needs me. This is who I am. This is what you get. It's like the part of her that Nate has been having a really good time with is like the part of her that's free of Billy, but she knows that that's. That that's not all that there is and that at any moment Billy can swoop in and she can end up spending all night sitting up looking at pictures or doing whatever he needs to tend to him. And he is going to always need to come first as a priority when those things happen because the stakes are so high and she's probably as much enmeshed in that dynamic at this point as Mm -hmm. Billy is.
2: Yeah, and and all of that clearly means that at some point this has been a problem in the past, right? With her relation with some or probably multiple relationships that she's had, where this has come to a head in a way that was either scary or ugly, or you know the guy just couldn't deal with it or chose not to, and she's the idea that she's holding Nate back a little bit, even while allowing herself to feel these feelings for him, makes total sense that she would. Not want. She would rather selfishly, she'd probably rather have Billy hang out with Claire more than have Nate oh around when, when Billy's around. <laughs>
3: Um, there's a really funny through line in this episode of Nate always showing up late for things and saying that he was stuck in traffic. <laughs> He's like, Oh, there was an accident here. There's an accident.
2: Yeah, you know, the four oh nine and the one oh one. And then David, of course, can't help himself. He's like, Wow, you really, you know, always seem to to have bad luck with the roads. <laughs> This is like when um, who was it that was like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, it was David himself. He was like when he was lying to Keith, he was like, mm. oh, you know, there was an accident and then the this and the that and yeah. it was such an elaborate lie. At least Nate, to his credit, keeps it like somewhat vague. He doesn't have like a whole story about three ambulances who had to right. come and like that's kind of like serial killer behavior, of David, but whatever.
3: <laughs> yeah, the, the traffic lie must be genetic.
2: Yeah, he's he he should take a page out of Nate's book and just, you know, just keep it fake. Be like, Keith, there was traffic. I don't know what to tell you. Have you been outside? You're a cop. You know how crazy it is out there. Believe me, I'm telling the truth. Ay, ay, ay. But speaking of David. Yeah. He has his, you know, his own repressed things that he's dealing with. Um, you know, he has he's a deacon at the church, and he has his responsibilities. No, he so can't who knew? Who knew
3: that the deacon had had this thing? I'm like, oh, this is what a deacon does. They they vote on. They do the politicking.
2: Leader. Yes, this they is do. he's some kind of uh you know he's in the House of Representatives. Maybe he's not a full <laughs> senator. There's a lot of uh behind the scenes breakfasts and right. and some stodgy some stodgy personalities to deal with in the in the church and he has a he has he feels a big responsibility and you know that david just loves this he's the swing vote yeah he he better be praying that he doesn't get voted out next tribal because if he's the swing vote they might all turn on him okay that's all i'm saying
3: uh yeah i think that they're that the other deacons are like are kind of eyeing david um yeah there's this comment like uh from i think it's Walter is like the old the oldest like Mm -hmm. stodgiest of the deacons who says like oh is this you know the agenda Jack you bring in the new generation deacon and he votes in the radical new priest Um, so yeah so the 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 heart of this conflict here with uh, David and the church is that uh, Father Jack wants this new priest, like they're looking for a new priest at St. Bart's and all of the deacons have to vote to agree whether a priest will be allowed into this congregation. Mm -hmm. And the priest that father Jack wants is father Clark. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a question about whether, Father Clark is a good fit for Saint Bart's. Ariel, what is what is the coded subtext? Even the way you said
2: that, you're like a good fit because it totally matches what's going on here. It's so bizarre. Like everyone, I guess to my previous point about the tribal council, they like everyone is not really saying Mm -hmm. what they are actually meaning, and everyone's kind. Everyone has their own agenda and the stakes are really high for all these people you know again like some of these people are older so it's this this world this this church where unlike david they don't have necessarily probably like a lot of other things going on as far as like having a career and and uh you know they could be retired whatever it's just statistics i'm not judging but the idea that like this again nobody is saying anything and it isn't until or Nobody's like really being open, everyone's kind of th- happy to throw around accusations but then mm-hmm. not be completely honest with their own intentions. Uh, our friend calls David at a very inopportune moment, oh, yes. Uh, where David is he has a white towel, he has yeah. his milk, he's wearing his white t shirt, like it's, I'm he was sorry. ready
3: to have a cinematic experience. He's ready
2: to have a cinematic experience, and I have to just say. I think the craziest thing he does is, like, he doesn't rinse his mouth after he, like, spits out the, the toothpaste. Oh. Like, this is, and this is the thing with me, I will just say. This is the thing with me with, like, movies and TV shows anyway. I'm like, okay, maybe other people do it different. That's fine. It's literally none of my business how other people brush their teeth. But, like, <laughs> it, it's always been a thing that I notice in TV and movies. Like, wait, did you – either there's, like, no foam, right? There's mm-hmm. from, like, the toothpaste and, like, clearly there was no toothpaste when you're filming. or like, in this case where there's like a lot of it and then the person doesn't rinse so i'm like oh now you're gonna go and just like have sugar in your mouth i don't maybe it's just me but that was like my that was the thing that i had the most violent reaction to even before we got to the milk and i think the milk is like <laughs> i mentioned serial killer behavior before from from uh from david and this is yeah. I, I don't know i know and is people he gonna like drink
3: milk. the milk after brushing his teeth <laughs> It's <seems> me like- <laughs>
2: like and Wait, it- oh my god you're so right that would taste disgusting <laughs> but like and then he's like drinking the milk already like when he gets the interrupted phone call he's already like drank it's all of part
3: it. of his ritual with his little white
2: towel i understand and he's probably but he clearly my hope is the only explanation that i can find is like to your point. This is like this is his ritual, right? Mm-hmm. He's probably done it for a long time. Looking about-
3: forward to it all day. Don't think about the milk. The, the way just- that that milk and toothpaste tastes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> This is wild. This is so crazy, uh, but yeah, he his his uh his his military scene that mm-hmm. he's watching of a different kind. Yeah,
3: he was like getting. I mean, because because they were doing a military, but he knew they might do a military funeral, so he needed. It was research. He needed he's to like, this
2: is topical. He's like, I'm picking <laughs> up. I'm picking up the vibe from the universe. This is the genre that I am be. I will be selecting. Um, but again, he gets interrupted mm-hmm. to have like a side uh, alliance conversation yes. with this with this gentleman from the from the board, Walter
3: Kriegenthaler. Yes,
2: Walter, and he's like, "Hey, sorry to interrupt. Whatever it is you're doing, <laughs> whatever
3: <with>. wholesome activity <laughs> you're about to
2: engage in, you're drinking your whole milk." Um, <laughs> I just want to say, did you did you get a gay vibe? From- <laughs>
3: This is crazy wow. and he's
2: like calling him at night it's so it couldn't be any more i don't know there's something like like almost illicit about it he's like hey just a quick thing i don't want interrupt you or like sway your vote but did you get gay vibes from this guy and i thought the guy was cool like very the like in the way that like you Lil know whole milk was cool very like yeah. you know uh, wholesome baggy jeans for them oh like, yeah cool no you priest. know it's
3: a cool priest if he's like wearing jeans we talked yeah. about cool priests like cool priests like they like take a shot at mm-hmm. basketball court, <laughs> yeah. wear a hoodie cool cool priest yeah like um yeah father clark is um you know he's kind of a uh, more like liberal priest, but he's mm-hmm. like it's it all comes back to Jesus, man, because Jesus was a
2: revolutionary. This makes so much sense. This, he, is, this is he's telling the story. He's he's
3: just he's just, he's just spitting straight facts. Um mm-hmm. and you know and and I, I do think it's kind of presumptuous like how how just disparaging. Father Clark is about St. Bart's. He's just like, they're good people. They're just lazy. And he's like, <laughs> he's like these people, these matter. people would crucify Jesus today. Like, like he just he's, um, but you know, he's kind of calling out the hypocrisy that you see in a lot of religion. Like sure. They'll pray to a man nailed to a cross, but they ignore the gay kid who gets strung up or the black man who gets dragged behind a car or someone's mother living in a box. Um, and he's, you know, coming out this uh this this straightforward with David because he thinks that David's somebody who can actually tell right from wrong and that matters to him. So he's definitely appealing to David. Like the question is so I mean, is is father Clark gay. I don't think that I I don't think it matters, you know, for the show. I don't and I don't think that they give enough inclination here or there. I do think the show is insinuating that maybe father Jack is gay mm-hmm. um but um that this is like a progressive priest who is going to challenge the congregation and um you know, I think that David is presumably somebody who would benefit from like a more open and progressive congregation. So the question is, like, is he going to vote that way and encourage that change? Um, But I think that Father Jack uh, overestimated David Fisher a little bit here.
2: Yeah, he he oh, he underestimated uh David's uh self-loathing perhaps. Yeah. I think the the Wal- I think your point about Father Jack is a good one because it totally makes sense that if if in Walter's estimation Father Jack is gay, then he's going to bring like another gay priest to the church and then you know there goes the neighborhood in Walter's estimation. Half the
3: congregation will leave. Half the
2: congregation left at that one place in D.C. that I totally didn't make up and really (laughs) it really happened Um, it it totally makes sense that that's something unfortunately that he would be worried about because that is the thinking of a person who calls David in the middle of his whatever session and is like hey did you get gay vibes and the idea like you said of David Of them thinking of like Father Jack thinking that David is going to vote a certain way or like you as the viewer even set up to think that David is is going to vote a certain way. I think we we even as the viewer underestimate what David is capable of Mm -hmm. in this in the in the name of keeping order but more tragically in the name of like his repression and keeping Mm -hmm. things he really wants to keep things clean right like the idea that like real life that his that his sexuality could come into play via other people reflecting it back at him I think worries him and he the 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 uh the interview with with um with the other with father Clark I think is is interesting because father Clark takes the takes the path of like kind of challenging David but he doesn't know that he's actually kind of scaring David into this scaring David about this potential new reality that he could bring about
3: yeah, yeah. I kind of think though I, I think that after the interview I think that David is maybe on father Clark's side and I do think it's a call from Walter that pushes him to the other side because like I think that and I and I want to and I want to like make uh, uh, like highlight one of the things that Walter says. He says, well, I don't care if he is gay. I just don't want him to push that agenda. And I feel like this was like very much an early aughts type of ethos and like Mm -hmm. this is very like don't ask don't tell and civil unions not gay marriage and it's like this idea that like oh I'm not a bigot I don't care that people are gay I just need them to not publicly exist in any visible way Mm -hmm. where I have to see them like and like that that Like, and regarding that attitude as somehow being tolerant and accepting. Um, And so that's that's what Walter says. And I think that, like, hearing that from David, that, like, Father Clark becoming the priest would somehow be associated with the congregation becoming more tolerant of different sexualities, like, Get Like, finding out that this is a linked issue and that David could be associated with coming down on one side or another of something that's associated with, you know, being gay is, like, the thing that makes him, like, oh, no, no. I have to – I have to prove that I am, like – that I'm not pushing anything that makes people uncomfortable. Like I am going to just retreat and make my identity disappear so that I can be accepted. And that's like, obviously the way he approached his relationship with his father, his father's deaconship gets invoked in this like episode as well, where Walter mentions that, Oh, you know, your father voted against uh father, Jack, like, you know, yeah. so Like this idea that maybe his father was was a bigot and didn't want the church to become more progressive. And so David is going to kind of live up to what he imagines his father would want, what he imagines the conservative legacy of St. Bart's wants, you know, is and that's to kind of maintain this more stodgy, conservative, less tolerant uh, congregation.
2: Yeah and that's that's tragic on so many levels the idea that he's like yes I will upload I will uh uphold the the like the you know the repression that I perceive from my father and be that person that these that these uh that this this like council of people can can depend on I will continue to be mm-hmm. that person and you would think like and I think that's that's the twist right you would think that what Walter says to him would actually push him in the direction of Wanting to hire uh, Father Clark, in fact, it, it pushes, it pushes him in the, in the other direction. This is, yeah, this is a wild, a wild uh, vote that they have. And, and the, the Alliance didn't, didn't stay as, as some of them, as some of them thought it would for, for David. And this is, I think this is another moment that Keith would be like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't like that.
3: Yeah, the tribe the tribe is spoken. Um,
2: okay. And Father Clark's torch is is indeed put it's out. Not.
3: Um yeah, Father Jack like has an interesting conversation with David here when you know he's obviously disappointed. He doesn't want the church to find some conservative lapdog that won't challenge anyone. Um, and when David pushes back and says that Father Clark wouldn't be the right fit he wouldn't be happy at st barts and i love this from father jack why should he be happy how happy are you um and this idea that like this isn't a like this this that you know that serving serving god or serving the congregation isn't about making people like isn't about doing something to make people happy it's about doing what's right and the church right. like allegedly like if if we take what father clark and father jack say at face value like the the they're not living they're not living the the word of christ by being intolerant by not being generous by not going out there and actually doing good by just sort of upholding this kind of conservative value that makes them feel comfortable um, and this idea that they need to be challenged. And um, David has sort of forgone the concept of his own happiness um, because he is so afraid of of being challenged, of changing. He says, you know, That he's not happy. His life is complicated and confusing. He's experienced a lot of loss. And the one thing that helps him deal with it is having a place that hasn't changed.
2: Yeah. And it's all it's like the same viewpoint that Walter has. And it's horrible that they're like I mean, it's inherently selfish, right? I don't want this place to change because I like the way it makes me feel when it's X, Y, Z, and I don't want it to turn into this other thing. And meanwhile, Father Clark is, or excuse me, Father Jack is fighting for the future of the church. He's Mm -hmm. thinking like beyond himself. He's thinking beyond his tenure even and about just the church in general and like the health of the church and the congregation going forward and full credit, full credit to Walter who played that exactly right. He got exactly mm-hmm. what he wanted. He knew he that it was true. In fact, that father Jack did want to bring in this radical like mine. It sounds like such a paranoid, uh, you know, thought when he mm-hmm. when Walter says it to father Jack and it ends up being father Jack's like, damn it. No, that's exactly what I was doing. And you fail David. You're not, you're not an ally to me, so to speak
3: yeah um and like and it's sad because David had a church that made that he was happy at like he had a progressive Crazy. church that was like doing good work where he and Keith were happy there and he, like he's chosen to go backwards like he's chosen to retreat into this more conservative church and I think it really does come down to trying to in his father's absence like, double down on living up to what his father would have wanted him to be.
2: He's like, wait, you want me to be a deacon? Oh my God. I can like continue this this uh, cycle of repression? I oh, love God. this. This is so appealing to me. Sorry, Keith. Bye. <laughs> well at least he has his 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 videos to watch. <laughs> He has his videos, and then he leaves the damn video in there for Nate to to find the next day. And it's Nate like it's cool. I, I watch. It's like too. I'm a cool bro. I'm not a regular bro. Like I support this. This is this is great. Like again, Nate having the very normal human response as a sibling especially of like oh my god this is hilarious and so embarrassing for you but like also it's fine like you're making such a big such a bigger deal out of it and i love i love 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 the moment that they have uh at the end of the episode when nate hugs david and he tells him i love you david and i always will and it's like it's always so tragic and lovely to watch david's like fighting his defenses are falling in the face of that and you can see he's actively fighting that he doesn't want his defenses to fall like, yeah, to always yeah. in this antagonistic you know side of the spectrum with nate and nate is just like trying really hard to get close to his brother and it's it's really sweet and genuine
3: it's really nice and like it you know the 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 what they go through with the um with the 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 Paul Kovich plot line of like this brother who basically, you know, for good reasons, because he was protective of his younger brother who had, you know, was a war veteran and had gone and had suffered, you know, injuries in the Gulf and the army tried to deny him his disability. And like Paul very much saw Victor's life as being ruined by the army and like really imposed his own values on Victor. And we like see that it's not until after his brother's death that he's actually able to accept who his brother was and what he might have wanted and like as that's playing out like Nate is really pushing you know to actually discover and follow through with the wishes of the deceased like figure out what what Victor would have wanted and honor those wishes while David is very much you know saying like let's just make the client happy
2: yeah um when and- in reality they could do they achieve both they like give mm-hmm. they make the client happy and they give the deceased what they wanted and and you know David tells Nate that he was right which is obviously like a huge deal for David to say that and a huge deal deal for Nate to hear that from him
3: And I I think that the whole conflict, though, activates in Nate and David this idea that, like, you know, while your brother is alive, while you are together, like, have a relationship where you say the things that you mean to say. And this is why this is why Nathan does say, I love you, David, and I always will. Um, And, you know, and I think that that's that that's beautiful. And that's like beautiful recognition. And David recognizing that, like. Hey, you know, even though I give you a hard time, like what you did in this situation was good. You did the right thing. And like Ariel, Nate's reply to you did the right thing today. Like it killed me. He's just like, I know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Nate's like, yeah, and I'm still going on this damn trip.
3: (laughs) cuz that's I how I roll. I'm amazing. He says I know feels kind of good, doesn't. But like <laughs> Nate is like oh. You
2: were so
1: close, Nate. So Wyatt.
3: so much unfounded confidence on this man. It's like it's like startling, but but it it is a beautiful exchange and you know like we mentioned up top. This episode is called Brotherhood and I really think that like it comes down to like we're building slowly this this more um reciprocal loving open relationship between the two brothers and like i just wanted i just wanted so badly for them
2: yeah absolutely and like we already see nate kind of starting to feel this way about wanting to say the things and wanting to make life count after after their father died and this just drives home the point more you know the idea of these two brothers and and it's like nate is Nate is sure now that he wants to be more of this person who does and says the thing and and wants to be less like he wants to be less like the senior and Nathaniel senior and more like mm-hmm. this new Nate Jr. that he's trying to be. And we love it. We love progress. Look at everyone progressing. Progress. Everyone except Claire, who is perfect and doesn't need <laughs> any progression. And she's the well, healthiest person in the whole damn house.
3: Claire knows that algebra is garbage and you <laughs> never need to use algebra.
2: Trash. So she- and also... Points against the teacher for having nonsensical chalkboard etiquette. This is oh like wild math teacher stuff. And it is very realistic. I have had math teachers like this, but it's like, you know, maybe no, like some semblance of order. No
3: one was following that. Like you're, you're, <laughs> you're like, we you get it. And she's trying squares
2: it. and circles. And now the chalk is just on each other. And she, this woman is clearly getting a little bit high from like the chalk shavings off the board. <laughs> and kind of, you know, high on her own supply, so to speak. And there isn't a single soul. Usually you have, like, the one or two really involved kids who get it. And, like, Mm -hmm. either they're sitting in the front or on the side or whatever. And this was total death stare. And she chooses to pick on Claire because Claire's at least doing something good with her time and not just sitting there. She's reading a book.
3: Yeah, yeah. Claire is reading... Casavetas here. Um, so good for her. Um, I love this Claire imagining like the future of her classmates after they mm-hmm. take the PS. Like like Claire is starting to toy with the idea like, well, what if I do go to college? And like mm-hmm. the, the with the three, uh, the three like kind of girl like snarky girls that like are always laughing at her Mm. um you know the one of them goes to law school marries a triathlete they get rich and have kids like and she's like oh so you're like unbelievably happy and she's like yeah yes and then the one who um becomes a tv development exec and works out all the time who's fairly miserable and has a slight substance abuse problem but you look great
2: Mm-hmm. and then there's the of course it's always a little bit dark with claire and the mm-hmm. third one you know unfortunately uh uh has a has a uh cancer dies
3: of ovarian cancer before
2: yeah. age 30, 30.
3: That's and, she, and
2: i love that they go through the trouble of making her look kind of
3: yeah looking pale. sick yeah
2: it's really uh she's really gone and i just love the idea that like claire can't quite like Let go of that part of her, even though she's trying at different points and in different ways to to not have like a death be so much of her life, you know, in the way that like uh, Ruth, we see in this episode, her whole recontextualization of her relationship with flowers, which is, again, so amazing. And uh, I just loved that that even like amongst amongst this ridiculousness, there's still that element of of death following mm-hmm. following Claire around.
3: Right. And it's this idea that like people are like hounding her, like plan your future, plan your future. And it's like mm-hmm. she knows that, you know, okay, well, there's all of there's all these things I can do to keep busy between now and death, but everything mm-hmm. always ends in death. And it's like very, very philosophical. Um But um, it culminates in Claire bombing the PSATs, but at least she does it by drawing like a very impressive skull and crossbones with the answer bubbles. Ariel, did you ever do anything like that on a standardized test?
2: I, I have done like the all C's or all B's. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I will say it's a lot. I didn't see any erasures on her, on her figure. So that's a lot of, intricate work that she had to do, like deciding which bubbles to to circle in and which not to to get that that. Do think so I would, she gets any that.
3: points for like making a really nice skull and crossbones? If
2: I were the, the proctor as the yes. you know the, the, they, as they used to be called the uh, exam proctor I would for sure give her points. I yeah. might even give her like a certificate that I printed on my own from the internet but <laughs> I don't think <laughs> she could get any of it. I don't think
3: the, the, yeah, the Scantron can like detect it. Would now maybe with a, it would probably with blow AI, up. With AI now maybe they yeah, so the
2: I know you'd be like, wow, this is, it's like when you put your name, if you write your name on the SATs, you get like a certain number of points. Oh, right, would, yes. I think this would, this would be equivalent to that. Um, She's doing great. We love, we love Claire and her, her emotional stability in this sea of utter insanity that is her, that is her family.
3: Um. Did you have anything else from this episode that you wanted to call out, Ariel? <sighs>
2: No, I mean, I th- you know, we talked about the milk, we mm-hmm. talked about uh...
3: <laughs> the most important the milk, <laughs> the rhinestone headband,
2: the headband, we
3: talked about everything.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, I think oh, that's everything.
3: Rico gets an ominous call from Mr. Gelardi.
2: Mr. Gelardi, yeah. And this is also speaking of Rico, this is because I've been noticing this, this is like the second or third mention that he's like, I know it's not you know fisher, and, fisher and, diaz. and diaz yeah okay all right tell us how you really feel rico and like not to say that he doesn't deserve it i just think it's it's interesting and you know we've gotten the now the second or third mention in as many episodes coupled with the gilardi call as you pointed out that i had right. kind of forgotten about clearly there's something coming that we saw gilardi pursue all the different members of the family and now of course it just makes sense that he has moved on to mm-hmm. to rico
3: yeah, and while Jalerti is bad, I also do kind of want Rico to screw over the Fisher brothers. Because they are, like, as much as we can say that, like, they, we have these moments of sympathy for them and we like them, they are terrible bosses, Ariel.
2: Yeah, and, like, the the really big blind spot that they have in even at all needing to reconsider the way that they that this whole system works and the way they treat Rico and what Rico does and like the amount of the work that Rico is actually doing you know like hour by hour as opposed to the work that they're doing just like you know at least David is is can do some of the things and Nate's mm-hmm. just, you know driving the bodies around although we do get the mention here that he's taking his funeral director's test so that's something to keep yeah, uh, sights on going forward, but you know I don't disagree about Rico, and we've gotten again. I've been I've been watching the I've been watching the the Spanish corner over here. Mm-hmm. You know his wife's basically always like they treat you like crap, and you need to speak up for yourself more. So this kind of totally makes sense. And we if,
3: stand, Vanessa. By yeah, the way, we
2: stand, Vanessa, and uh, you know she's gonna if he doesn't take this meeting with Gelardi, then we're probably she's probably he. Rico is probably going to hear from her, so she's probably yeah. a big part of the reason that whatever this is with Gilardi is is moving forward in some way. And he's very deferential to Mr. Gilardi, right? So, like, clearly yes. there's already a little bit of a, uh, an in that Gilardi has made with him. So, something to look forward to in the back half of the mm. season. It's like it's like a whole new season. It's not, but it's the back of the season. So it feels like a new, it's like we're going into the merge, right? Like wow. Like oh my goodness. New...
3: Wow. We right back to tribal council. That's yeah, amazing. <laughs> um <laughs> well myself. well, Ariel, what uh what else do you have going on? Where else can people hear you while they wait for that next recap?
2: Wow, which is coming in just a couple of days at the end mm-hmm. of the week. Uh I am on Twitter at that other Ariel usually retweeting your tweets about this pod (laughs) and other pods that i'm on i'm covering movies every week with grace pusher recaps theater and um let's see anything else that's mostly it i do a monthly gray's anatomy recap with Chappelle, so we'll be back in december for that um yeah i think that's mostly everything for me what about you
3: um, I am wrapping up Lessons in Chemistry coverage with Dr. Melissa. We will be talking about the finale of season one that will be in your podcast feed very shortly. Um, I am also covering The Curse with Grace Leader, uh, the Nathan fielder benny zafty scripted series starring fielder and emma stone um grace and i are raving about it uh we are um you know uh, like just like the critics on rotten tomatoes giving it very high marks mm-hmm. audience score is uh you know through the floor focus groups are <laughs> not thrilled with it but i love i love a divisive show with things to talk about so definitely check it out i think that um You know, it's not for the faint of heart, but if you can hang with it, I think it's a very rewarding, very satisfying, well done, darkly funny show. So um, all of that's on Post Show Recaps. And you can always follow everything that I'm doing on Twitter where I am at Dr. Amanda R. That's D-R-Amanda R. R. And Ariel, you and I will be back in a few days to talk about episode eight of season one of Six Feet Under, Crossroads.
2: I can't wait for that crossroad
3: <laughs> um, so we'll be back then and until that time dear listeners rest in peace ah.